I, I finished reading this morning. I finished reading Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Has, has anybody read that book? It's really, it's really extraordinary. It's really a beautiful book. I've heard about it for years, and I'm glad I finally read it. It's not a long read. He's a, he's a, he's a beautiful writer, and he is a black man writing to his son what it's like to be black in America. And he's so thoughtful and so his the way he uses words is so beautiful. But um, one of the things that I um, took away from the bit that I just finished it this morning and just had a little bit to go. And one of the things I took away from it was this idea of the, fr the fragility of humans, that how fragile we are. So I was reflecting on that and I said, it's such an important thing to remember that, and we don't, we forget it. We forget how fragile we are. I remember a few years ago, my car got away from me. It, was kind of on a hill at a gas station and I had pumped the gas and I'd been there for a bit and then it started rolling away and I ran and tried to, you know, jump into it. It's a little teeny car and I couldn't do it, but it knocked me over and it kind of bumped me and I got, you know, tumbled on the ground. And um, I got some scars and it put a hole in my jeans and I was fine. It was like really minimal, but just that simple thing and how banged up I got. And it's like, wow, we're so fragile. We're so fragile. It doesn't take anything because when you watch movies and TV, that, that fragility is really not there. People get the shit beat out of them and you know, I just watched John Wick too, and it's like, <laughs> this dude, dude, how do you get up and keep walking? <laughs> you know, it's fantasy, and so we get dulled and we get um, uh, kind of immune to the reality of our, 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 the tenderness and the fragility of of our the human condition. That's part of the human condition. So it got me to thinking about um, the Buddhist teaching around um, death and living and, and the five remembrances. And so what else I was thinking about is Kobe Bryant, you know, the, 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 he, not just him, but his daughter and two other little 13-year-olds and their moms or dads or it's just, just like, like that like that the fragility the life we have a it's fragile and b nothing is guaranteed so yeah there's there's no immunity there's no immunity um kirk douglas just that yeah yeah i, I saw a bunch of stuff about him and well, he was like 103 or something too so you know you have two ends of the spectrum which is which is a piece of it um and, you know, and that, that got me thinking about a year to live, which is, as we were talking about, starts in a couple of weeks. And that was such a transformative practice for me. And I've had the, um, the honor to facilitate it about seven or eight times over the last 12 years. And so it's really, it's really a gift I, I get to do. I'm really grateful I can do it. And it's funny because I put it on my um, Facebook page about a year. To, what would you do if you only had a year to live and spend the next year living as though it were your last? Something like that. And somebody, I have no idea who this person was, he wrote, he commented, I just saw it today, he said, 
because nobody does that, idiot. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> excuse me. Okay. <laughs> Which is, you know, just points to this like, it's like, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? You know, nobody does that. And it's like, no, actually people do it all the time. And it's a really wise practice. It's a wise, wise practice. So where this all comes from is the, not where your live practice comes from, but where this reflection on our mortality and the fragility of our experience in the Buddhist realm comes from the, the story of the Buddha, for those of you who know, the mythology around it is that he was raised in a well-off family, and his father was trying to protect him from the realities of the world, so he protected him from the realities of the world, and he saw, you know, only, only good things, only happy things. I don't know how that happened, but he did that, you know, living in India 2,600 years ago where, you know, mortality was in your face all the time. But his father seemingly protected him until he was around 29. And he said, no, I think there's, there's got to be more. And he went out with one of his servants at night in disguise and went through the village or the town. And he went three different nights, three, four nights in a row. And he first night he saw um, uh, an old man. And uh, he had never seen anybody old before. Mythology is the key word here. <laughs> he had never seen anybody old before. And he asked his servant, is it going to happen to me? And his servant said, happens to everybody. And then the next night he saw somebody who was ill and sick. Never seen that before. Is this going to happen to me? Yeah. And then he saw a corpse, which is not unusual seeing corpses and um, is this going to happen to me? It's like, yep, it's going to happen to you. So he had this real shift and this, um, what you call a real awakening to the reality of existence. And they talk it, there's a, there's a term called Samvega, which I like, and it, it indicates a sense of shock, dismay, and spiritual urgency um, to reach liberation and escape the suffering of, of samsara, of, li of life. Um, the oppressive, what is it? The oppressive sense of shock, dismay, and alienation that comes with realizing the futility and meaninglessness of life as it's normally lived. A chastening sense of our own com complacency and foolishness in having let ourselves live so blindly, and an anxious sense of urgency in trying to find a way out of the meaningless cycle. So that's what's that's what smacked. The Buddha. He wasn't the Buddha yet, because the Buddha means awakened when he was merely Siddhartha Gautama at this point. So he got he got um, smacked upside the head with this sense of what am I doing? What are we doing? Just kind of being complacent in the world, living so blindly, and that's um, and actually they call this the the four heavenly messengers: death, old person, sick person, a corpse, and then the fourth um, he saw a wise man in India. Their wise men were wandering around, aesthetics and people, gurus and yogis were all over the place. Um, and so he saw one of those and said, that's what I'm going to do. And he had a wife and a kid, and he just said later, and he took off. Just a little, um, little selfish journey to find the meaning of life and the, maybe the end of suffering, the end of this continual cycle of um, uh, what rebirth in, in, in Buddhist speaking, 
Um, and so he spent the next several years studying with different different um, uh, wise men, learned all types of meditation, and he kind of got to the point he, where the people he was studying with then said, dude, you, you, we're going to study with you because you're really wise. And he's like, eh, still not there. He finally ended up with this group of aesthetics who thought that the body was the cause of all suffering, and if we could just detach from the body and then um, then the, and that would be the end of suffering. So they treated themselves like awfully. You know, they wouldn't eat. That was the sleeping on rocks, you know, that kind of... The, the Christians did it. The Catholics did it, where you, the monks would wear hair shirts. You know, their clothes had all kinds of, you know, awful things on the inside, so they're really uncomfortable. It's like this, this punishment of the physical experience. And he was close to death, and he said, ah, oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> he said, I am out of here. And this woman found him by the side of the road. He was, like, close to death, and she nursed him back. And, and he said, I'm just going to sit here until I see the nature of ex experience and existence. And so that's when he sat, um, and he eventually um, had the, the awakening of seeing, you know, it's a, our suffering is based on the fact that there there is pain in this world there's the the human condition there's loss there's grief there's sadness and our um, extra level of suffering comes from wanting to have it pleasant all the time like his father tried to do for him create this false false world and um uh he said that's bullshit he, i i i translate rather loosely <laughs> but he said that's garbage you know that's nonsense it's 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 not the body it's not creating this false sense of of perfection it's being with what is without needing it to be different so he he um he he formulated what we know as the four noble truths that there there is suffering um, there is pain, there is discomfort, there is dukkha. That light, the and and the kind of the um, these remembrances are kind of baked into the first noble truth because the first noble truth is really, oh excuse me, there's suffering, um, um, there's life, there's death, there's sickness. So there they are. There's sickness. We're separated from things we love. Um, that's that's true that's real and when we try to escape that reality we suffer we create our own discomfort by needing it to be a certain way and so from this idea they have come up with and it's in a it's in a, one of the suttas the um the five remembrances which monastics recite every day it's a it's one of those things it's like i continual reminding ourselves of this reality and it's I am the first one is I am subject to aging aging is unavoidable I am subject to sickness sickness is unavoidable I am subject to death death is unavoidable I will grow different separate from all that is me dear and appealing to me meaning we will be separated from everything we care about everything we care about we will be separated from and then I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions, born of my actions, related through my actions, and live dependent on my actions. 
Whatever I do, I do for good or for ill. To that I will fall heir. So basically, all we have are our actions and the results of our actions. That's really all we can own. Everything else is fleeting and ephemeral. And if we hold on to it, you know, to cling is to suffer. And so when we hold on and we grasp, that's when it hurts. So these are really um, important things to keep in mind. And as I said, the the monastics look at these every day, and a lot of people do these. They they do you know um, remembering the precepts of how to live, but also these these remembrances. And I don't, but this stuff is on my mind all the time. So I don't do it in a formal way, but I'm always thinking about it. And if you look at each of these, you'll see how antithetical. And I can't say that word. How they go against the way we're raised. And what we kind of are are taught to believe, um, whether we're aware of it or not. Like I am such subject to aging. Aging is unavoidable. No, <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's a choice. You know, you've seen those ads. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I, you've seen them. You've seen them all, and you know this age-defying cream for your face. Destroy, you know, takes away wrinkles. Um, if you work out or you do this, you do that. You won't age. You know, you'll 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 postpone death forever, almost. Or looking for the fountain of youth, or cryogenics, where people freeze themselves, hoping that there'll be a cure for whatever it is killed them. You know, if they don't just kind of. You know, they turn off the uh, electricity and then they just melt anyway. But um, <laughs> it could happen. It probably will happen. There was a company that did that and they went out of business. And they, like, they just had to dispose of the body. They just had to dispose of the body. That's it. Yeah, the families don't want soggy, frozen <laughs> people or ex-people. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, getting getting old is seen as this terrible thing. You know, ageism is real in this society. There's a show, Grace and Frankie, on Netflix with um, Lily Tomlin and um, Jane Fonda. And they're in the supermarket one time, and it was, like, late at night. It was, like, 11 or late at night. And nobody, they were trying to get somebody's attention, and the guy was ignoring them totally ignoring them and then this young woman came up to the register and he went running up to help her and so they just got pissed off and left and when they got into the car they had gone in because Lily Tomlin smokes and she wanted a pack of cigarettes and she pulls out her cigarettes and Jane Fonda says how did you get those you, there, nobody served us she goes I used my superpower invisibility because you become okay. invisible you become invisible. Aging is, you know, people are, um, they're discarded. They're either brought out and, you know, bowed to, but they're often discarded, at least in our culture. In other cultures, elders are seen as holding the, the wisdom of the, of the community. But we're a very youth-oriented culture. And we can judge from the outside. And I did this all the time growing up. In fact, I saw someone yesterday at UCLA who was my boss. I worked at I worked at UCLA when I was in grad school. Um, uh, had work study, 
and she was my boss for like three years and I thought she was ancient then I was 24 <laughs> I don't know how old she was but I saw her yesterday and she's like this and she's still kicking it and I'm like oh my god <laughs> she's like now really ancient but I mean it's like when you're young you're clueless my sister-in-law said she used to get she was getting senior discounts when she was 50 I'm like oh, you weren't old enough she goes they're 17 they have no idea how old they are <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, aging is, is not, not thought of. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I was walking down the block a, f a couple of years ago, and I saw this little old man coming up towards me, and he had his cane, and he was just kind of, you know, you could tell he was just going for his daily walk. And, and I stopped, and I thought about it, and I said, it, it just, you know, humanizing someone and taking them out of the the block that we create for people because we compartmentalize and old people are this and those people are that and we just we just put into buckets made up by based on our conditioning. And I stopped and I want you have to make the effort to get out of that conditioning. And I said, I wonder if he was at D Day. I wonder if he was on the Normandy beachhead. You know, just, of course, that's a made-up thing, but it gets you out of compartmentalizing mm -hmm. something, and and it's all about rehumanizing as well. And so, if re realizing that we are of the nature to grow old and allowing that to settle in, it takes away to a certain extent that fear because so many people people turning 30 I hear them talk about how terrified they are of turning 30 and it's like well when I was growing up it was like you know kill everyone over 30 don't trust anyone <laughs> over 30 but every generation goes through that but but to be so afraid of turning you know a very young age it's extraordinary what this culture has done so to really be willing to say oh no this is actually there's nothing wrong with this not to pathologize the reality of humanity is really important so I am of the nature to grow old and age um, you know let's see um, yeah, there's a, I am of the nature to get sick. We're all, we all get sick. Anybody in here at, never, ever get sick? No, we all got sick. I used to think when I got sick, there it was, um, it was like a moral thing. You know, I really, I would judge other people who got sick at work. I was, I'm really healthy. I'm really healthy. I'm really grateful for that. So I don't get sick very often. And so I would not be sick at work and I would see other people and I'd be like judging them. You know, if only you would X, Y, or Z, then you would be blah, blah. You wouldn't be so sick. You know, you really should or whatever. And instead of just recognizing that everyone is different, everybody, it's a crapshoot. A lot of it is genetic. A lot of it is, 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 it's, you know, the, where we live, the medical care we have access to. It's economic. It's class. It's not just, it's not just, a, it's not a moral issue. It's a much bigger 
thing than that. So to recognize that this happens to everyone, the fragility of humanity is, is there. Um, Ajahn Chah is this great teacher. He says, um, everything falls apart in the end. Everything falls apart in the end, you know? And when people have accidents that, or life-threatening illnesses, they seem to have a shift. A lot of times they have a shift in their perspective of what's important and what's not important because they recognize, oh, me too, me too. It's connection with that fragility instead of thinking it's over there. It's not, it can happen to each of us. Um, Ram Das, who just died recently, he wrote a book called, um, his famous book was Be Here Now, which was, I think he wrote in the 60s or 70s, and it just was like hugely impactful. I never read it, but I know I've heard it was hugely impactful. When he was in his 60s, he, he was writing a sequel to it, like still here. <laughs> I love it. Um, and he wrote the book, and then he had a huge stroke, and his whole life changed, like 180 degrees. So he had to rewrite the book because he was he was vibrant, he was healthy, and then he had a stroke, and all of a sudden he couldn't take care of himself, and he was independent his entire life, and all of a sudden he was absolutely dependent on other people. This connection that's so important, and because we're so independent and isolated in this community, in this in this culture, so it's just a whole shift. It's like, oh yeah, me too, me too. Um, and then he's he lived another twenty or thirty years. I don't remember when his stroke was. I think it was in the nineties. But so that was another twenty something years. Um, but we, it's unavoidable, unless we get killed suddenly. And don't get sick. I mean, that's what I say, you know, because the next one is old age. I am, um, well, the first one was aging. I am subject to aging and sickness. And I go, if you live that long, if you live that long. I was talking um, recently, and I was, we were talking in this vein, and I said I'm really grateful for my health because I don't get sick. And I said I'll probably get hit by a truck. And they said, <laughs> don't talk like that. Words have power. You'll bring it on. And I'm like, no, I don't buy that at all. Because does if, if I don't talk about it, does that mean I'm not going to die? You know, I'm not sitting here wishing to get hit by a truck, but I'm saying it can happen. It can happen. That's the weird thing about Buddhists. <laughs> because we say things to each other like, if I never see you again, I, I want you to know I love you. You know, if I get hit by a truck tomorrow, I want you to know I love you. And other people hearing that say, go, go. Whereas I'm able to tell you I love you because I see, I believe in the fragility of life and not knowing. We don't have a clue. You know? um, I'm subject to death. That's okay. We can all agree on that, I think. Yeah, I'm subject to death. We're all going to die. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Um but again, people fight against that. I've seen people fight and struggle and punch and kick and hang on, hang on. I mean, 
and my mother-in-law, they kept saying, I can't believe she's still here. She would not let go. She would not let go. And I sit there and go, let go, let go, let go. My girlfriend's dad, the same thing. It's like, let go, let go, let go. And then I have other friends who um, get a, a terminal diagnosis with a very short span. And they're like, okay, I'm going to tell everybody I love them. I'm going to have a big party. I'm going to do this and because they're, they're actually cognizant of the reality and saying, okay, this is my time. How do I show up for this, which is inevitable? You know, they talk about a good death, you know, but to have that attitude. You know, so I went to see one guy. Some people asked me to go visit him. He was, um, he was going to die any moment. He had HIV or he had AIDS. And he was on the way out. And I, he was in bed when I went there. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry I slept so late. I'm usually at the gym at this time. And I'm like, but he's still in his mind. You know, he never got out of that bed. And he's like, oh, I'm all, you know, denial, deep denial. And imagine how painful that must be because you know deep down inside the reality, yet you're in this denial of it, which is so much of our existence, knowing the reality and denying it because our mind says it cannot be that way. It should not be that way. It has to be different from this way. Ram Das again, in this other book I read, um, he had an essay in it, and um, I think it was How May It Be of Service, uh, something like that. But he's talking about his grandmother back in the 60s. They never told people they were terminally ill. There was a time when they tried to hide your death from you. And he actually talked to her about it, and she was so grateful because she knew she was dying, and everybody was denying it. And, and that's such a disconnect, and there's no ease there. There's no way to turn towards it and say, <laughs> you know, I'm going to Portland tomorrow, and I'm I'm um, if the 737 doesn't crash, I'm going to. <laughs> sorry, see, um, I'm teaching at Portland Insight this weekend, but I'm also going to stay with my brother, who's 78, and his wife is a little bit younger, and their their bodies are breaking down, and it's like. What are you guys going to do? How long are you going to try and live? You know, are you, do you have plans? It's like the reality, the reality conversation that they're in, they're in kind of a little bit of denial about. No, we're good. We're good. We got this. I'm just going to, you know, it's like there's no coming back from where you are. You know, there's no coming back. Whereas my, my brother's ex-wife in San Jose, who I saw a few weeks ago, she's like ready to go. She's got to kick the bucket Binder. <laughs> That's what it has. It's a kick the bucket binder. I'm in the, her executor, and so you go through it, and it's got everything I could possibly need. She's got everything all cleaned up. She's just like, when she goes, it's like going to be clean. She's not in denial of it. I think that's like the kindest thing you can do. Absolutely. Because it's having dealt with my mom's passing, and you can't really grieve because you're trying to set up a funeral. That's really bad. So at least if I go, I'm going to have all the instructions. Absolutely. You better start now because you never know. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so true. We think it's morbid when people try and talk about that stuff. People go, oh, that's so morbid. It's like it's actually not morbid. It makes it's really helpful. Like you said, it takes 
it, because that's the last thing that people want to be dealing with when a loved one dies is figuring what would they want what am i supposed to do how where's that crap where's the paperwork you know it's really a gift it's an absolute gift so to, but you have to acknowledge the reality of your death before you can do that so it's um, you know to 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 recognize that and and the la this fourth one is, um, you know, I will be separated from everything that is dear to me. Recognizing that. You know, that is an antidote to craving and clinging. It's like, it's gone, everything disappears, everything goes away. Even my most cherished possessions go away. My most cherished possessions disappear. And all we have are our actions. All we have are our actions. You know, that's 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 the the teaching around karma is an intention is like um, if I if I move in a wholesome, beneficial way, that's kind of how it's going to unfold. If I move in a in a in, in a direction that's like caught up in greed and anger and delusion, it's going to be a lot more painful. Reality still happens. Shit still happens. But how I hold it is very different when I can reflect and go, this is the way it is, impermanence, anicca. I talked about that a few weeks ago. Everything goes away. And then last week I talked about fear, fear and anxiety, because so much of this stuff brings up fear and anxiety. And how do we hold that? How are we with that? You know? And so in this, in this story of the four messengers, the old man, the sick, sick man, the corpse, and the wise man, the wise man is the, the path. How do we do that? And the Buddha offers, you know, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, this way through, the way to be in the world in harmony with the world, not in 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 um, conflict with the world, because we're in conflict with the world so much. And I don't mean the people that are, you know, crazy and doing horrible things and awful, awful, awful people. I meant just the nature of, of the, the, the rhythm of the world, of the, the ebb and flow of how things are. When we're in conflict with that, it just intensifies um, dissatisfaction, unhappiness. And there's a way to be with the crap with ease. And that's what the Buddha's teaching around these, this path is, the way to be um, this fourth messenger, this spiritual practice of, What's it like? How do I show up? How do I incline the mind? How do I let go? Am I when I'm when I'm all tied up in pretzels? What is it I'm 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 holding on to? What is it I'm afraid of to let go of? You know, is there fear? Is there emotion? Is there old shit that needs to be dealt with? You know, how do I how do I you know disentangle from this deep deep conditioning that I've I carry with me? Personal, intergenerational, everything. How do I heal from that? And I have my journey along this path has been quite transformational and quite healing. Not dead, not done. So I'm keeping going on it. But that's what these teachings are, you know. 
there's one other list I want to read because I love it and it fits right in with this. And it's, I'll just go over these quickly. The, the nine contemplations of Atisha. Atisha is this uh, teacher who lived about a thousand or a little over maybe 1200 years ago, um, who brought Buddhism into Tibet. Um, and uh, the first contemplation, death is inevitable. No one is exempt. Okay. We, we agree to that one. Our life span is decreasing continuously. Every breath brings us closer to death. Death will indeed come whether or not we were prepared. It's going to show up whether you're not or not. It's like, you ever go through thinking that this is a, de a dress rehearsal and next time you'll do it better? Like, oh, no. Not even your whole lifespan, but there's this this way of thinking. The brain, I, it's, I'm sure it's some kind of, um, you know, it's it's, it's mm -hmm. all goes back to our reptilian, you know, taking care of ourselves, looking out for this. But this um, there's a negativity bias, but then there's also a bias towards seeing things, um, you know, getting discounting the the icky bits, like an I don't, I don't have the terminology like. A, it's not an optimism bias, but it's just, you know, oh, okay, I screwed up this time. Next time I'll get it better. It's like there may not be a next time. You know, like all the stuff I have in my closet that I bought in Syria that I'm waiting to put out. Mm -hmm. It's like you're in the house you're going to live in. You're probably going to die in this house unless something weird happens. So why is it packed in a closet? What are you waiting for? That's the kind of thing. When I was 20 and I lived in a teeny a room, yeah, that made sense. But I'm, I don't have a room anymore. I have a little bit more space. And if I'm not going to use it, can I get rid of it? And all my rugs were destroyed when the moths came. So I lost out on it anyway. So, you know, it's, it's like, oh. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Death will indeed come whether we are prepared or not. I just said that, didn't I? Human life expectancy is uncertain. Death can come at any time. One of the things, I have another list, and it says, um, it's the same list, but it has a few different pieces, and it says, um, all of us have less time to live than we did when we walked in here tonight. So, tick-tock, tick-tock. Um, there are many causes of death, habits, desires, accidents. The human body is fragile and vulnerable. Our life hangs by a breath. At the time of death, our material resources are of no use to us. Our loved ones cannot keep us from death. There is no delaying its advent. Our body cannot help us at the time of death. It, too, will be lost at that moment. Sounds like a downer, but it's not. I think it's simply just a, rec a contemplation, a recollection, a remembrance of the fragility of life. So when you have this real deep abiding in the fragility of life, it really brightens life. I mean, you can go into that, oh, poor me, I'm going to die. But you're going to die anyway, so can you, can you bring some, well, if I'm going to die, what is it I want to do? Which is what the year to live peace practice is really about. It's like, okay, then let me do this. Let me do this. What am, what am I carrying around that I don't need to carry around? What can I put down? 
there's another another one of these where it says, um, you know, when you die, people might throw your shit away. All your beautiful, precious belongings might end up in the trash. I don't have anything that I think is out great, but some people do. You know, they they're treasured things. It's like poof. Other people are gonna go, ugh. I've always hated that. So it's really it's really an excellent excellent recollection and practice.